I've been in ministry for 25 years, and we did uh, I headed up an evangelistic uh, organization called the 118 Movement. And we did all these ministry outreaches and training students and just did that for years and years and years. And I never expected God to call me into this church planting thing. And when I started to sense that the Lord was doing that, I was like, dear God, no. And uh, I'm too old for that. That's actually what I was thinking. I'm too old for that. You know, it's at least for young guys, you know. I'm 48, so for those of you thinking, wow, actually, you look a lot older than that. Thank you. Uh, but uh, I'll talk to you later. Uh, but it's, it, was, uh, it was a journey. It's been a three-year journey to get to this point, we, and there's a lot to the story of it. I have a few slides that we're going to show you just about Verge Church. You guys are big sponsors of ours. We're very thankful. Some of you guys are like, I didn't know we are doing that. Well, you are, and thank you. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're awesome. And turn to your other neighbor and say, you're awesome, because you guys are all awesome. You're actually helping Verge Church. In Collegeville, we have a very unique opportunity to impact Collegeville trap in the surrounding communities. And this is new for me. I don't live there. Actually, I'm soon to be living there because they sold everything to move to this area so that the Lord could use my wife and I to help plant this church. Collegeville is a very needy town. Now, how many know Collegeville or know about or know someone who lives there or whatever? Okay, so there's some familiarity here. And you're thinking, how does this town need Jesus. Uh, so I have another slide I want to show you just to kind of give you a little bit of a breakdown of what we've really studied. We have uh, seen here in Collegeville that there's 65% that are not involved in any kind of religious organization or activity at all, 65%. So if you're thinking this, six out of 10 people that you may see walking around Collegeville aren't involved in any kind of church. That really gives me a lot of energy to bring the gospel to this community. Another thing that we've seen in 2012, there's a study that was 46% of the people said they have a relationship with Jesus, and then five years later, that dropped to 39% saying they have a relationship of Jesus. So we see that there is an actual decrease, if you will, of either people who are turning away from the church, people moving out of an area, new people moving into an area who do not know Jesus, whatever it may be, we know that there's an increasing need to have more church in this area. And that people who are not involved in a religious community say the number one reason is their family is their family is a reason that they're not involved. And we really want to have an impact with families. Uh, part of our church launch team and our church staff is a children's pastor and a youth pastor. Most church plants, church plants don't plant with a youth pastor in mind. We did because we knew that there is an actual need to help help our community by helping family. And the last thing is 71% of people, listen, this, is, this one really blew my mind that they no longer go to church because they don't trust religious leaders. They just don't trust them in this area. So for us, as we walk into this area, we kind of have a really strong feeling of what we know the DNA is, and we really feel passionate to help people understand who Jesus is, and we exist to compel people to follow Jesus completely. And that's our vision that we're walking in with. The last thing I want to show you is our actual outreach plan or the way in which we're going to to uh, get into our community. Is there another slide up there? We're actually going to be launching a co-op out of our facility. Uh, We have been given a building. 
Now, that doesn't usually happen. Someone being given a facility that's over a million dollars and say, here, go reach people for Jesus. We're working with Connection Church. They were given this facility. They're turning around. They're planting my wife and I there, and they're saying, now go and reach this community. Well, there is a bunch of market research that we did and finding out what does our community need, and there is actually a need in our area to have a co-op. We're going to be Monday through Friday opening our building to our community, and we're going to have Internet Cafe, and we're going to have have Zoom rooms, and we're going to have the ability for people to operate their business out of there. We're actually going to have this major impact in the community and a Monday through Friday. I want to rub shoulders with those who had probably never darkened the doors of the church, but see the church as actually a place in which they can be productive and for us to help people in the development of who they are or what they're doing in life and have an impact in their life. I'm so excited. Yay! I'm so excited. So we're going to birth this baby on October the 3rd, and uh, you guys are helping with that. Our phase two with our co-op is going to come sometime next year. Point number one, let's plant the church and get the doors open in that church, raise the money to help launch the co-op next year. And as we get continue to get into the community, we're going to continue to have an impact in that community. That's Verge Church. Please continue to pray for us. There's a table outside of these doors here with some cards with some of this information. You might want to take that, use that to pray for us. We want you to pray for us. We need your prayers. Please pray. I can't say it enough. Please pray. As you're actually launching into a new area, you can feel the spiritual forces there that don't want you there. This church, the enemy doesn't want it here. It doesn't want it here. It wants everything to do to close the doors of this place. Every church is facing that spiritual uh, vice, if you are, the uh, spiritual atmosphere outside these doors. And so we really definitely need that prayer. We have a pretty good strategy walking into this. We've gotten a lot of support. We have a lot of uh, community leaders that are starting to find out about us and starting to build relationships with us. And we definitely continue to need those prayers. So thank you very much. Now, listen, if you know somebody who lives in Collegeville and they're not going to church and you're their friend, if you're really their friend, you would say, hey, man, I know this guy. He's really old, but, man, I'm telling you, he's spry. He's got lots of energy, and I, I, wanna, I want you to meet him. And listen, me, you, and your friend can have coffee at Providence Town Center that's out there over at the, uh, we'll go to the Panera Bread. We'll take him there, and we'll have a cup of coffee, and we can talk about the church, and I can meet your friends that are in that area who need Jesus or need a church to go to. Let's partner together with that. Can we do that? All right, so grab some cards that are out there in the back, and we'd appreciate that, and that's all we're going to say about that this morning, because we're here to hear from the Word of the Lord. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 4. How many have the old school, I have a Bible in my lap? Is there anyone here? Okay, all right, I see a hand, I see a see hand, yes, yeah. I, don't you feel a little bit more spiritual with that? Like, I, I bring my Bible, and I feel a little bit more spiritual. I mean, honestly, I got the digital Bible, but there's nothing like that old school Bible, you know what I mean? And I have a few of those, and I actually uh, use those and carry those with me when I'm sitting in church. But anyway, for those of you who have the digital Bible, how many of the new age, the digital Bible? I'm the, I'm the new guy on the block. There we go, I'm the new guy on the block, all right, and uh, turn to Philippians chapter 4, and we are going to read from there from verses 10 through 20. Lord, I pray you bless your word this morning. Here we go. Rejoice, I rejoice greatly in the Lord, that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Verse 12. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret. Everyone say secret. 
I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet, it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epiditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering. And extend to his riches in his glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's a long scripture passage. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, all these words, why are you going through this? Listen, there's a few key things in here. I have found it that, that there's certain scripture passages that pop up in our everyday, or at least someone's social media account, someone's quoting a scripture. I guarantee you possibly, I'll guarantee you that within the last two weeks you have heard, I could do all things him who gives me strength, or I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. How many of you have heard that in the last couple weeks? You've heard that from somewhere. Okay. Sometimes there's these verses that pop up. There's another one that pops up quite often that I see, is that my God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory. This is verse 19. How many have heard that one? And someone used that one, either quoting it to you or using having a bumper sticker or a t-shirt or whatever, t-shirt bumper sticker, I don't know, spray painted on their car, whatever. You've seen that in different places. Now, I see these scripture passages pop up, but there really isn't much context that actually helps us bring a little bit more of a dynamic feeling of what this means. And I think a lot of people today are finding themselves in a position to say, I read the Bible and I read these scriptures, but what does this mean? I know what it means to me and my Americana culture, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Should be a scripture passage that all of us look to and say, that means I have the ability to do something. I'm Tim Tebow, and I can bench 700 pounds. And, I, and as he's squatting that one out, he's saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we're thinking that there is this ability that we have. That, that's kind of how it would apply to my context. This morning, I really want to get a little bit deeper into the meaning of some of these very important scripture passages that have a very big impact in our lives. So I have one point to share with you today. That's it, one point. It's a one-point sermon. It takes three hours to deliver, and it is the best sermon you've ever heard in your life. I'm totally kidding. All right, here we go. Point number one and the only point, learn the secret. Learn the secret. Learn the secret. I'm actively engaged in wanting to learn this secret. Verse 11, I am not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret. Everyone say secret. I have learned the secret. He's saying here in verse 11, I am not saying this because I am in need. Do you realize what Paul is actually saying? I know this. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned a secret. And he's saying here in verse 11, right before that, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. He's in prison. As he's saying, I, I don't really need anything. He's in prison. How are you saying that? Can you imagine the guy behind bars like, yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. I got everything I need. You got a 
bar of soap and a little towel. I'm good. I don't need anything. No Chick-fil-A for me, man. I'm good with whatever they're going to serve me here. That's, I'm totally good. He's saying, I am not saying this because I'm in need. That is perplexing to me. I want to further share with you that there is a dynamic for us to understand about the prison system here that Paul's a part of. If we think the American prison system needs some reform, let's go back to Rome back then and see a prison system that definitely needs some reforming. Here's the reforming needs to happen. You had to pay to be in prison. Can you imagine that somebody had to bring you money every month to pay for you to be in prison? Especially on house arrest, which they were saying that Paul was probably on a house arrest right now, that he had to actually pay to be in prison. And here's this. Food-wise, you only ate whoever brought you something outside the prison. Can you imagine that? That you're in this jail, this cell, this confinement being contained, and Paul is telling me he doesn't have any needs? That is perplexing. We see this today that we know that there is many needs and we are understanding of our needs and we shout out our needs and we want our needs fulfilled and we have this way to communicate our needs and we definitely can have a GoFundMe site. Can you imagine if Paul kind of launched one of those? Hey, GoFundMe, I'm in prison, need some cash, need some Chick-fil-A, need you guys to help me out here, GoFundMe. There wasn't this going on there. We understand what it looks like today. When there's a need, we can shout out our need. We can say our need. And yet Paul is saying, I really don't have a need. And as a matter of fact, he is saying here that he has learned to be content in whatever circumstances. And a matter of fact, he is actually more overjoyed that their connection is renewed. How many remember, see, last year there was this period of time where we couldn't come to church. I can't remember what was that called. Oh, the pandemic. That's what it was, right? I, I know you kind of all forgot about it now. But there was a season, if you will, where we couldn't actually be in here? Or were you guys actually in here the whole time? Because some of you are looking at me, you're like, well, I was here the whole time. <laughs> where I was from, okay? <laughs> it was close. We're online. And I remember the first day when the doors opened up and I came back into church. You remember that day? Dude, I hugged everybody. I'm not a hugger, okay? I'm not a, I'm not a lover. I'm not a fighter, but I'm definitely not a hugger. I'm a high fiver. I'm a fist pumper, but I am not a hugger. I want you to know that. I am hugging everyone. And everyone's kind of like, dude, this is a little weird. You got this big six foot four dude kind of like, I miss you. I miss you. I miss you. I miss you. Like holding people's faces. Like, you look so good. Like, I miss people. I miss my people. I miss them. I just, we're together again. There was that. How many have felt what I'm talking about? There was a renewing of the connection with my brothers and my sisters on a Sunday morning. Paul here is more thankful that they're connected together again than the gifts that they brought him because, honestly, he really was in need. But he doesn't think of that that way. I'm content. I'm good. I'm just so thankful I could see your face again. I'm so thankful we're connected again. And that is something of a deep, deep, deep connection of Christians. Christ followers in this room, let me share something with you. There's this thing in Scripture talk about as koinonia. Koinonia is a very deep friendship and relationship that can only be developed with Christians. It can only be developed because the Holy Spirit residing inside of you is connected with the Holy Spirit that's residing in another believer. And when the Holy Spirit's at work, there's this deep connection that is there. There's a brotherhood, a sisterhood. There is a deep connection. And it is absolutely amazing. Paul says, I know what is have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation. Now, some of you are here today are a little young, younger than me. 
Probably a lot of you are younger than me. But anyway, there's some people who are younger than me. And you're thinking, well, that doesn't connect to my language. I don't understand what you're talking about. Secret. What are you talking about? I just want to translate this. You don't understand the pop culture of AD 62. That's what I'm just explaining. This is Paul speaking to his pop culture in AD 62. Let's kind of translate that to today's pop culture. I want to retranslate this passage. Here we go. Don't be so extra and learn the secret of being content. So let's get after it in every situation. And everyone's response was savage. Now, for those of you in the room that don't understand anything I just said, you're old. And I want you to understand something. I had my 18-year-old retranslate that for me because I'm old. And then when he retranslated, I was like, I don't understand. I don't understand. What's a savage? Is that like someone killing you? He's like, no, it's savage, Dad. It's savage. That's savage. Okay. Pop culture winning again. There's the pop culture of art today. Maybe it kind of retranslates the passage. But there's people. This letter was written, if you will, to believers. But at the same time, there's believers sitting inside the context of their culture. What was the culture like in AD 62? What was the thought process of those who are just baby Christians trying to learn what it is to be in Jesus? What about those who are actually peering in and listening to the letter that Paul wrote? What are they listening to? What are they hearing when it comes to this thing called Christianity and the culture of that day? There was two philosophical worldviews at that time in A.D. 62, and I want to point them out to us because I think it's really important to understand how Christianity and the depth of the Word of God is so different than anything that we can hear outside of that. There was Stoicism. That rose in 3rd century B.C. Being a Stoic is someone who remains calm under pressure and avoids emotional extremes. Or you could be 85 years old and a grandpa usually never lets anything affect him. I'm not sure if you had a grandpa like that, but I did. Pretty Stoic. There could be a bomb going off and my grandpa would be like, yeah, whatever. Although we cannot have control over the events affecting us, Stoics believe that we can control how we approach things. Rather than imagining an ideal society, Stoics deal with society as it is. So there was four cardinal values of being a Stoic. Practical wisdom, which is to deal with the complex with a calm. Temperance, which is moderation and self-restraint in all aspects of life. Justice, which is treating others with fairness and even when they are done you wrong. And courage, facing daily challenges and the clarity, with the clarity and integrity. We've, where do we, we, I've heard this philosophy. I've heard people say this. I, as a matter of fact, I, I know some of the great wisdom that people have given me outside the Word of God was, man, you can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you handle it. How many of you have ever heard anything like that? Stoicism, I think, is still present today. We find Stoicism in self, the self-help movement. Rational motive behavior therapy says you can change your self-defeating attitudes about your life circumstances. We can harness the willpower to give us meaning in life's bleakest of situations. Almost sounds scriptural. You look at it and say, wow, that's actually, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of there. Matter of fact, I hear a lot of things that kind of sound like the Bible, but are they really there? Are they really in it? I've heard many times people say, you've got to love the sinner, hate the sin. Well, actually, it may sound scriptural, but it's actually not in the Bible at all. And I really think that the Word of God has kind of bled into our society a little bit where there's people who really believe certain things about Christianity that really isn't about Christianity. Stoics really believe that we can deal with complex with calm, that we could treat others with fairness. Isn't these are some of the things that you Christian guys do? 
but the gospel is not a good self-help book. I want to share that with you today. The teachings and practices of Christians are not resources for the self-help movement. Why? It's hard to take a selfless Jesus and turn him into a self-help guru. It's not about helping ourselves. As a matter of fact, as Christians, we realize we can't help ourselves. There is nothing we could do to help ourselves. And as husbands and wives are sitting next to each other who know each other really well, say, yes, they can't help themselves. Trust me. That we know that we can't. It's about dying to ourselves. That is actually not self-help, dying to ourselves. And it's not stoic to be able to die to yourselves, if you will. Paul is very clear on his language, but the listener may be confused. There is something very significant that happens next that the listener has to listen to. Let me set up one more train of thought, if you will, back then, A.D. 62. Cynicism, which came about in the 4th century B.C., Diogenes was a thief and a counterfeiter in society. In exile, he thought by rejecting the opinions of others and society's measures of success, he could truly be free. Later, being a cynic meant people who criticize others without anything worthwhile to say. How many of you have ever heard of anything like that recently? He lived close to nature without materialism, vanity, or conformity. As a matter of fact, people would offer him things, and he would turn them down because he doesn't need anything from anybody at any time. He wandered around the Greek cities, nothing but with a Coke in his knapsack, just making fun of everybody and basically shredding everybody. Pretty savage, if you know what I mean. Today's cynic definition would be a person who thinks Everyone else is acting out of pure self-interest, even if they claim a higher motive. I've seen this. As a matter of fact, even though if the context of society in AD 62, this sounds like the context of my society today. The gospel, though, is not a rejection of opinions of society's values. The teachings of Christ are not a higher set of principles to be free from society. Some people say, well, you go to, how many have a neighbor or a friend or a relative? It's like, you go to church because you need that. Like, you need that kind of, that kind of helps you. It, it completes you in some way. I don't need that. But you need that. You need that Jesus thing and all those things that happen there because, you know, that's just something where it helps you out. I want to share with that person, and maybe you can share with that relative, friend, or neighbor that actually that's not it at all. You're missing it entirely. The language that we see here could be confusing a little bit. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation. That could sound cynic, could sound stoic. What makes it different than the cynic and so? What sets it apart? Where is this line, if you will, that helps us understand truly what Paul is communicating today? Both philosophical thoughts are about gaining independence. To be a stoic and a cynic is about being independent from others and independent from the need. And I want to share with you that Paul's statement about being content is actually being dependent upon the Lord entirely. Paul's full statement brings a different resolve. So within, we can see that there's a contentment that people can find in stoicism and cynicism from within. Me being independent from you. So the cynic would say, you do you. How many have ever heard that one before? You do you. I almost want to say to someone, how's that working for us right now? <laughs> I've heard that one for years. You do you, man. You do you. That's a total cynic way of looking at it. You do you. A stoic way is live and let live. 
Live and let live. How many ever heard that one? Live and let live. Just live and let live. Like, you know, live and let live. You, you could be mad. I don't have to be mad. You live and let live. Paul comes not from being separate from everybody, but coming from without. I have nothing. From his being a man in Christ to whom he is totally dependent and thus not independent, but depended upon the Lord. Because they are both in Christ. They are not dependent on each other. On the contrary, we're dependent on God. I'm thankful that we're dependent on God. Here's a clarifying statement that makes things very clear to the listener. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, I want you to think about when I first said it this morning, and that quote and how we have viewed that through our context. This isn't about ability. It's actually for me not having the ability. I can do all things, seems like activities, but in context, it refers primarily living in want or plenty. That means he is, his life is not conditioned. And as believers, as followers of Christ, what Paul is trying to communicate to us today is that your life is not conditioned by either having want or having plenty. This is where those who would say stuff and having more stuff and more cars and more boats and more vacations and more stuff is going to make you happy. I would say to you, it's not going to make you happy. You would say, it's not going to make you happy. And what Paul is saying here is it doesn't matter to have plenty. But he also equates that to the same line of having want and need. And it doesn't matter that I have want and need. They are essentially irrelevant to believers. As followers of Christ, it's irrelevant whether I have a lot or whether I have a little. It doesn't really matter. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. This is not about ability to do something. It's about the inability of me confessing the ability of him who sustains me in whatever circumstance. How many have had a really bad day in the last month? A really bad day. There, I, I don't know about you. I had a day. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you everything that happened in a day. We don't have enough time. I got only two hours and 45 minutes left. So we don't have much time. And I want to share, I had a bad day. And put it this way, I, you kind of had that work day in my head. I get up at 6 in the morning, and then I have a bunch of things that I do, and then I hit the work, and then I'm at work all day, and then I knock off at 5 o'clock and take my drive home, and at 6 o'clock, no laptop, no phone, no nothing, I'm done for the night. Been a pattern for me. Help me live healthy and happy and handsome. Maybe not the handsome part. But anyway. I had a day where I ended at 3 o'clock because everyone know what I'm talking about. You had that day where you're like, if I don't end it now, something is going to burn down. And I don't know what it is, but I don't want to be a part of it. Like, this is just a bad day. And you can say that even in that bad day, even in that bad moment, that bad time, and this is what I did because I'm preaching this message and I want to let you know what I'm living. At 3 o'clock, I knocked off that day. And as I'm driving my car and I'm really frustrated from a really terrible, busy, bad day, I'm thinking of this scripture passage and thinking of how it's not about me, it's about him. And since I have him, I have everything that I need. And it's all good. And the next day was better. Just want to let you know that. But it was even good in that day because it's the same. It doesn't matter. You just lost all your money at the stock market. It's okay. I'm good. I got everything I need. You just made 100% profit in the stock market. It's good. I have everything I need. I lost my job. I'm good. I got everything I need. I just found the ultimate job. 
I'm good. I got everything I need. Do you sense the understanding that Paul had here? The contentment that was deep within his soul? It wasn't about piety. It wasn't about setting himself up separate. It was about him understanding I'm completely dependent upon Jesus. And since I understand that, I'm good with whatever I got. We could do all this because of Christ's sufficiency. This is how we can do this. And those outside, those who are not believers, those who look from the outside in and say, man, aren't you devastated? You just lost your job. Like, aren't you, like, completely just awash? They're like, no, I, I, I know that the God's going to work some things out. I know that I'm good. I'm content. The Lord is in control. As a matter of fact, maybe I would say that our lives' journeys is really about learning the secret Learning that secret. And those who learn secrets get initiated into the fold of the mysteries of the gospel. We would see that this Christ's sufficiency is where he wants us to be. Can I share this with you this morning? Christ just wants to bring you to a place where we realize the sufficiency is in him. Yeah, you're talented. Yeah, you're smart. Yeah, you're incredibly good looking. Yeah, you got it all. But it's Christ's sufficiency is where he's leading us to be. So good. All right, I want to I I wrap up with this thought. And then four more thoughts and three more thoughts out there. I'm kidding. All right, here we go. I was reading Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Cost of Discipleship. Now, for those of you that want to get wrecked, <laughs> and I use that through this lens, there's times when you read stuff or someone writes something and it just wrecks you. The cost of discipleship has been something that I've read and reread for the last 25 years. I have it on my shelf. I'll pull it off the shelf every few years or so, and I get refreshed on wow. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a theologian, a young guy living in World War II. He actually was in America for a period of time doing some teaching and so on, but he wanted to go back to Germany in the midst of Hitler's regime and the Nazi empire. They told him, all of his friends said, stay away from going there because we don't want you in Germany because you will be killed in Germany. We want you to stay here, wait for the war to be over with, and then go back to your hometown in Germany. He believed, truly in the depth of his heart, I can't preach the gospel and talk about living like this as a disciple without actually being what I'm saying. I need to be where I'm supposed to be. And he goes back to Germany in the midst of World War II, and he does get hung towards the end of the war. As a matter of fact, I think it was like 60-some-odd days before the war ended, he was actually, I would say, murdered. I think we've lost a great treasure in a sense because, honestly, in a theological society, he, I think, had a lot more to give. But The Cost of Discipleship is one of those books that you're reading what the person is living, and it is absolutely stunning. I want to share with you a quote from this book. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? The believer is taken to out of a life of relative security into one of absolute insecurity. Do you hear me on that? You're taken out of a life of security to a life of insecurity. There are so many times, I think as believers, we, we, kind, of, we kind of got it backwards. We feel like, well, my security is in Christ, so I'm getting out of the insecurity of my life and into the security of Christ. But I want you to understand something. When you place yourself in Jesus, you have no idea what's going to happen. You have no idea what the future holds. You have no idea what the Lord wants to use you for, do through you, and so on. So I want to prepare you as those who haven't made the step to Jesus today to realize that when you're taking the step into Jesus, you're going from a life of security to a life of insecurity. He gets it. 
but it just seems that way. But in reality, he has brought into an absolute security. And this is where, when they're in the insecure land, we realize how secure we really are. The safety and fellowship of Jesus at its core, discipleship is exclusive attachment to the person of Christ. Are you exclusively attached to the person of Christ this morning? Are you exclusively attached to the person of Christ this morning? This is insecurity, but security when we know we've taken that step. Maybe your spouse is actually the person you're attached to the most, and there's a little bit of Jesus on the side. Maybe you're attached to your job or your kids or your future or your hope or whatever it may be. Maybe it may be your dream or your talent or your ability, but I want to share with you that you need exclusive attachment to the person of Christ because there's no trial that is too difficult. There's no obstacle that is too high. There's no temptation that is too strong. There's no opposition too powerful, and there's no persecution too threatening for the person who is exclusively attached to the person of Jesus Christ. Are you exclusively attached? Because if you're not exclusively attached, I want to share with you, you'll never learn the secret. You'll hope to, you'll want to, you'll read about it, but you'll never learn the secret without this exclusive attachment. Do you need to be living above your circumstances or are you pulled down to the whirlpool of emotional calamity today? Do you need the experience and the joy in the midst of your situation right now? I want to share with you that you need to do all things through Christ who gives you strength and you can't do that until you have exclusive attachment to the person of who Christ is. Are you attached this morning? What's the distraction? What's holding you back? What's putting you so you in a place where you actually have a little bit of attachment or a little bit? How are we playing this game? We can't play this game anymore. As a matter of fact, the game will destroy you in the end. You think showing up is actually part of the whole game. And then talking the talk is part of the whole game. And leading my kids this way is a part of the whole game. And I understand the game of life because I got my job and I've compartmentalized my church and I compartmentalized my family and I compartmentalized me and I've compartmentalized things to a place where I can juggle all of them and I want to share with you, you got to get rid of it all and you need exclusive attachment to Jesus and then everything gets done through that relationship. You're not there yet. Some of you are like, man, I really don't like this guy. I understand. You're like, I'm so glad he's planning a church way away from me. That's good. That's good. Yes, Paul's going to be back. He's not, I'm not the new lead pastor here. Paul's still there, man. You're like, Paul, please go back. We love you, man. This guy's tormenting us. <laughs> There's a joy that gets found in a believer's life. A joy. There's this unmistakable, remarkable joy that a believer has. That's the secret. They've learned the secret, the contentment in all. Crisis is the opportunity for disciples to step in and give. Can I share with you that the this is this is I don't want to get too I don't want to pack this too much, but this is a really good understanding of this passage. Paul is talking to a church. This church is the same church Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians. He's talking about different places. This church actually is like his people. Paul's traveling all over. He's planting churches. You can imagine Paul has a bunch of churches, a bunch of disciples, a bunch of people. This is his people. This church of all the Pauline churches that he would travel to and that he would be with, this church was the poorest church of all of them. They actually talk about this church as being devastatingly poor. And they're the ones supplying the needs of Paul in prison, not the churches with plenty. 
It's amazing to look at this passage and say, man, do you learn a secret? They knew the secret. They got it. They got it. They got it. And Paul loved this church. Paul talks about this church so many times because he loves this church because they actually get it. They are exclusively attached to Christ. They get it. They get it. They know the plenty and the need, and they're content in all situations. They have complete dependence on Jesus in all things, no matter what you may be going through this morning. If everyone can stand up with me to take a moment before we close the service, the worship team can come on up, and they can play Stairway to Heaven. It's a great altar song. I totally get it. I'm a wreck. Some of you are like, this guy can't play in a church. Like, I agree with you. Trust me. Like, I don't even know what God's doing right now. There is a dependence on Jesus. I think that some of you in this room know I'm not there yet. I'm kind of dependent in such a way where it's one of the buckets that I fill, but I'm not at the place where everything goes through that one bucket. And I want to share with you this morning. You can take that step to say, look, you know what? I believe in Jesus, but I've never really fallen completely. I follow him a little bit, but not completely. My son, I have a 21-year-old and an 18-year-old, once again, proving my age. I had him really young. I was 12. Okay, all right. My 18-year-old is going to uh, school this fall. We are going to drop him off in a few days. He's the baby of the family, and I know my wife is going to struggle. How many moms are her? You know what I'm talking about? Like... I got a hotel for an extra day for the crying day before we actually, like, (laughs) leave and depart. Anyone ever dropped off kids at school in here? You drop the kids. You know what it's like, right? The dads are like, dude, peace. Like, I can't tell you. For me, I'm like, I got my house. It's to myself. I can do all kinds of activities and have fun and do whatever I want. It's not going to be dirty. That countertop is going to be clean for more than a day. It's going to be amazing. And mom's there. She's like, like man let it go so good let it go we went shopping yesterday buying clothes why because I want to never come back I want to be fully stocked ready to go I'm teasing I really do love my kids so you're like yeah you're better but in my relationship with my son he's being 18 he's a very very smart quick quick witted quick quick kid I've been having more arguments with him this last year than I've ever had in my entire life and it has to go back to the thing like, well, this doesn't make sense because this connects to this. this connects to that. He just, he's quick. I mean, he should be a lawyer. He probably won't be, but he should be because I'm telling you, he'll going to argue with the best of But in our arguments is to sit down and say, look, man, I need to explain this to you. I need to say, man, just, could you just trust me for a minute? Like, I'm a full grown man. Like, trust me. I've been there. I've been 18. I'm stupid just like you were. Now I'm smarter than you're now. I'm just, trust me. And I'm trying to compel my son by having him just trust me. It ain't working. It's like, dude, it still makes sense. I don't care how old you are. It don't make sense. Like, he literally, back and forth, back and forth. And he's struggling to know. And there's people like that in their young relationship with Jesus. Matter of fact, some of you here today may have been serving God for the last year or two years or so on. But you're struggling. There's some, I can feel it in my spirit that there's some in here that you've been in deep contemplation of actually not darkening the door of this church ever again. I know where you're feeling. You're struggling. You're battling. You're trying to figure it out. And it doesn't make sense. And I want to share with you that this is the time to bow the knee, to follow him completely. Stop thinking you got it. Stop thinking that others around you have 
have the plan that is actually the better plan. Stop thinking of because of the world's philosophies and the cynics and the stoics and how it's trying to bleed into our spirit that these things are the better way. It is Christ, but it is 100%. You can't dabble. You can't put one foot here and one foot over here. You can't have a little Jesus on Sunday and a little bit of the philosophies on Monday. You have to be all in on Christ. It is a complete thing. And right now, the defining factor of what we're experiencing in our society is you need to push all the way in. Because you know what? Playing games ain't going to last much longer, is it? You have to understand. And as I plead with my son in these different exchanges and arguments, and we're going back, talking about different philosophies and going back and forth, and I see him struggling. I love the fact I'm watching him learn. I want to share with you, for those of you that doubt whether or not Christ is real, and you're standing in here since you were a birth, and now you're a young person, you're like, I don't really believe. It's okay. You're just at a point where you understand that it's either going to be completely or nothing. And you're never going to understand Christ unless you're completely, exclusively attached to him. I'm begging you and pleading you as I'm pleading with my son to trust me and then like lean on me, a person with wisdom who's been where he's at. I'm pleading with you. Trust in Jesus. Completely. Completely. Every head bowed and every eye closed in the room this morning. And I'm not... I'm not from these parts, as you know. So I don't know if I'm ending the right way. So I'm going to end just my way. Here we go. I want to give you a moment. If there's any altar workers, you can come on up. But I want to give a moment. I really do believe that for those of you in the room, there's a deep sense of turmoil. There's just this doubting and, and apprehension. And I want to share with you that this morning would be the time to pray, to repent, even to lay down, to bow your knee, to get to a place of saying, Lord, I completely trust you. Once you're in that place, you'll learn a secret, but you know you don't know that secret right now. You're dependent on things, dependent on stuff, dependent on people, dependent on whatever it is. And so we're going to take a moment as we're closing this service to actually allow for some contemplation for you to pray. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I, I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I just want you to really zero in and focus on, Lord, what are you speaking to me right now? Where's your heart right now? Let's worship for a moment. Let's spend a little bit of time before we leave. And if you want to receive prayer, come up to one of our prayer team workers. I would tell you, make the step. Make it be a proclamation for you that I, I am stepping all in. I'm going all the way forward this morning.